Thank you so much. Thank you, everyone, who's played a part tonight. It's great to be together like this and to uh, sing and have fellowship together. And we always enjoy the times afterwards, so uh, everyone is welcome for uh, a cup of tea or coffee or whatever and uh, lovely things to eat. And I think that's just an extension of what we do. It's lovely to have this time of fellowship with each other. So uh, remember that and stay behind if you can. Um, we come tonight now to ha just to have a little walk through uh, this uh, passage of Scripture and notice some of the wonderful words that Paul uses as he writes this letter to the Philippians. I'll make sure I have this switched on. And then... I know I'm doing something wrong, but anyway. There we go. Philippians. The, the first Roman that I got to know much about was Mark Antony, courtesy of Shakespeare's play. Uh, not all entirely happy memories, but I uh, remember Mark Antony particularly well, and Julius Caesar and uh, all of that. And... Uh, the bearing that this has on Philippians is that uh, the decisive battle that Mark Antony and Octavian had that, uh, uh, against those who had uh, assassinated Julius Caesar, the, it was held at Philippi in the year 42 uh, BC. Uh, later on, Philippi was given special status. Uh, people there paid less taxes than people elsewhere, and they had special status as Roman citizens. So Paul is writing to a, a city where he had visited himself in his second missionary journey. Th that second missionary journey hadn't been going all that terribly well, um, and uh, times he wasn't quite sure where God wanted him to go. You know, sometimes you think that being an apostle you wouldn't have any problems with guidance or anything like that. Paul says, we tried here, we tried there, we didn't know where the Spirit wanted us to go, and then he got a call, come over to Macedonia and help us. And so he arrived at Philippi, and the Lord blessed him there. He, he had a very strong sense that God had called him to that place, and that makes a big difference, just knowing that God is with you and that you are in the center of his will make sure everything goes right, doesn't it? Well, actually, no, everything didn't go right. Um, and, and, you know, you can be right in the center of God's will and things not go right. I, I know some people who find this difficult, and if they have a particularly uh, difficult problem, they try to think, what did I do wrong? But, you know, we live in a world that is stained by sin. We live in a world where there's the enemy at work, and you can be right in the very center of God's will, and things not go perfectly the way you might expect. 
It's just uh, the same with Paul. Uh, they had wonderful prayer meetings with, uh, by the riverside and saw Lydia converted at the beginning of his ministry there. But at the end of his ministry, he ended up in prison. And even out of that, while he was beaten, locked up in the darkness, in chains, he and Silas sang praises to God. What grace God had given him uh, to do that. And uh, he had a very special uh, bond with these people that developed. They they were people that had come to the Savior through his ministry, and he'd always kept that bond of fellowship with the Philippians. And when he was in trouble, they used to send gifts to him. And so his letter that Rachel read for us is a kind of uh, response to the fellowship, the bond, the gifts that he had received from them. Not just an extended thank you letter, but an expression of his prayers and hopes for the future for these people whom he loved deeply and who had a, a very deep bond of fellowship with him. So he writes to them, to the special people, and he the letter is from the servants of Christ Jesus, Paul and Timothy. And the word servant there is just the ordinary word for bond slave. Quite remarkable, really. Um, He could have said it's from um, the apostles, um, you know, from, but just bond slaves. Being a bond slave, of course, was usually a very arduous thing. And many bond slaves fled from their masters, and there's a little book in the Bible about that called Philemon, and the slave Onesimus had run away, and many slaves did. Others, however, who had a very good master would actually uh, be quite happy to continue, even if they were offered their freedom. There's places in the Bible where it explains how this can be done if somebody wants to stay. There were born slaves who had difficult times, and others who had masters that were very understanding. And so Paul says that he's the bond servant or slave of Christ Jesus. And there was no better master than that. There was no one that you could serve that would be more worthy of service than Jesus Christ. So Paul knew the best master of all. And you know what? Whatever you do for Jesus, whatever you're doing for the Lord, he's the best master. You'll never do anything for him that he won't give you the grace, the help, the energy that you need to do it. If God calls you to do something, he provides the resources that you need. So it's worth being a bond servant of such a great master who will never leave us to do things in our own strength. Paul doesn't want pity. He doesn't want praise. He just wants to be a servant of Jesus, and he wants to be known as that. The recipients of the letter, to all the saints in Christ Jesus. Uh, That, uh, you know, many of the people there thought Uh, they were special because 
of the special status of the city and the fact that they didn't have to pay as many taxes and they, they felt special. But Paul's not writing to special uh, people because of that. He's writing to people whom he calls the saints. Now, um, what is a saint? Many people have different notions of what a saint would look like, and we often refer to St. Paul, St. John, St. Matthew. But Paul refers to the Philippians as saints. Does he mean they all have halos? No, not at all. The word saint is linked to the Greek word agios, which means holy. He was writing to the holy ones. Now, now, that could also be confusing because you have heard people talking about holy Joes and all the rest of it and people that they rather feel are a bit sanctimonious, you know. They, they tend to call them holy Joes. But that's not what he's referring to either. What is holiness? It's usually described as separation, separated ones. Um, that can be confusing too, to be honest with you, because uh, I remember being brought up uh, with uh, holiness teaching. I remember in the Craig's Mission Hall, there was a fortnight's meetings on holiness. And it was all about separation from. Uh, most of the meetings had the same content, basically what you should get rid of to be holy. Your television was first to go. The aerial came next. And don't even think going to the cinema. Oh, no. And don't go with bad girls. You know, it was don't do this and don't do that. That's holiness. And, and no doubt, of course, there's some reason for saying that. But in essence, holiness is a positive thing. It is separation unto. Did you know that a temple can be holy? And temples don't watch television, so, you know, there's a problem there. Temple can be holy. A mountain can be holy. A book can be holy. A plate can be holy. It is something that is devoted to God. Totally devoted to God. In fact, when I say plates, I, I'm referring to the idea that people would have taken uh, offerings to uh, the temple or to, before the temple to various altars. They would have taken uh, the, the, an offering in a plate. And one of the altars that I visited that would have been from a very early period, long before the temple, all around the altar were pieces of broken pottery because the plate that was carrying the food that was being given to God, you couldn't take that plate home with you because it was holy. It was God's, so you broke it in front of the altar. Holiness was something totally devoted, totally separated to God. And of course, that had implications for separating from. But that was the first thing. And really, instead of describing because I read a ridiculous article once which described hell as holy. Can you imagine that? And it's just somebody got confused with the idea that holiness means separation. 
And you know, so I think it's better to describe holiness as belonging to God. And that was the people he was writing to. People who belonged to God, totally committed to him. That's what holy means, just belonging to him. You are bought with a price, Paul says elsewhere. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You belong to him. And that makes you holy. Uh, It means belonging to God. And it means taking God seriously. You'll notice all around the place here, um, fire extinguishers and signs for exit in the case of a fire. There's more at the back. Those things have to be maintained. They are expensive, but they are there because we have to take fire seriously. We know that it's dangerous, so we take the proper precautions. Well, the Bible teaches that if you are committing sin without thinking about it, God is dangerous. God needs to be taken seriously. And there are many people who take fire seriously who just treat God as if he's some Santa Claus in the sky, some Father Christmas, something that you can treat without taking him seriously. But if you are living in your sin, that is very dangerous because God cannot tolerate sin with allowance. He is holy. Uh, There's many verses we could read about this, but Isaiah 40 is a good one. It says, To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal? Says the Holy One. God is the one who belongs to divinity, who belongs to purity. He belongs to his own world. Psalm 99 puts it like this. The Lord reigns Let the people tremble. Let the people take God seriously. Um, The Lord is great. He is exalted above all the peoples. Let them praise his great and awesome name. Holy is he. That's taking God seriously. That's what it means to be holy. In Malachi it says, Those who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness, shall rise with healing in his wings. And uh, in the book of Malachi, people are being chastised for not taking God seriously. They were bringing sacrifices to the second temple that were not proper, um, that, that, that were not fit for the service of the King of Kings. You know, somebody would find a a lamb that was dying and would offer that to God. Well, why not? It was dying anyway. But the whole point was that this was dishonoring God. It wasn't showing proper understanding of who he was. It wasn't appreciating that, it, that he was the holy God. So the fear of the Lord uh, is the idea of just taking God seriously for his holiness. And uh, Malachi says that those who fear my name, the son of righteousness, will rise with healing in his wings, and you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. 
thought that was rather funny, and I'm not suggesting you should do it tonight. Have you ever seen a calf leaping from the stall? Boy, I have. When they get out, you know, they've all been locked in, and suddenly the little things are allowed out. They can skip and jump like anything. So don't try it, because he's thinking here of leaping and jumping uh, spiritually. If you try it physically, you'll break a leg. But we're thinking here of a spiritual change in people that fearing the Lord can make a real difference to their lives. Rise up, the sun rising with healing in his wings, going out, leaping like calves. Imagine that. Inside you, of course. So that was what holiness meant. And it meant just living to please him. Hebrews 12, 14 says, make every effort to be holy. Hebrews points out that without holiness, no one shall see the Lord. Once or twice I've heard that being preached, without holiness, no one shall see the Lord, in a rather ridiculous way, suggesting that there might be different departments in heaven for the people that uh, are, you know, that, that there's a place for where you will see the Lord and then people that aren't regarded as holy won't see the Lord. That's not biblical at all. Uh, what it means is that we are clothed with Christ's holiness and we must make every effort to continue in that. But it's his holiness that gets you to heaven, not your own. It's his holiness that gets you to see Jesus not your own. But then we are called to be like him and to follow on and to make every effort to please him and to be holy. So those are the people he wrote to. Just notice the end of that verse, though. To all the saints, all the holy ones, the people who are seeking to please God with all our failures and imperfections, with the overseers and deacons. Uh, overseers here probably refers to elders, to the elders and deacons in the church. So they were well organized together, and they notice that he includes them all together. He says, with. You could translate that uh, together with the overseers and deacons. Uh, I remember when I was in, the, uh, uh, in a factory in, in Balamina, a boot and shoe factory, uh, there, there was a, a very clear division between the management and everybody else, and a lot of suspicion between them. There was a, a culture of them and us on both sides, them and us. And you had to, um, the, the, the trade union was always suspicious about what management was up to, and the management was always suspicious about what the trade union was up to, and they didn't trust each other. Not for one bit. And what Paul is saying here is, it's not them and us, we're all together. It's the saints together with the overseers and deacons, all one in Christ Jesus. It's not them and us. It's us all one in the body of Christ. And Paul wanted people to realize that because one of the things that worried him most was divisions getting into the church. And he wanted to make clear that we are all together and that the saints include the overseers and deacons and it's all part of God's plan. It's not them and us, it's us all together. And he says then, to move on, he 
addresses them, grace and peace. That in Greek, it's two names that are very often used uh, for uh, girls, charis and irene. Grace is charis and irene is peace. Two great words that he addresses to them. Two very rich words. Luther liked those words. He said these two words, grace and peace, contain the summary of all Christianity. Um, uh, quite a statement to make. Grace and peace, two of the most, two of the pillars of what we believe. And this was how he addressed them with these two uh, fantastic words, grace and peace. Let's take grace first. What is grace? Grace is seen in our undeserved salvation. Paul says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and it's not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works. Nobody can boast. When we get to heaven, we will not be able to boast. You'll not be able to say that you deserved your salvation more than somebody else. We'll all be in the same foot. We'll be there because of Jesus. We'll be there because of what he has done, not because of anything that we have done. We will be there because of grace, the free gift of God's salvation. And grace was also power for living. He said, my grace, when Paul was going through a hard time, God said, my grace is sufficient for you. Do you ever get exhausted physically? You do. So do I. But you know, you can also get exhausted spiritually. You can also get into the doldrums where you just no longer feel God is near to you, where it's not particularly easy. You can get into an exhaustion that is really spiritual. And so God comes to us and says, you know, trust me, no matter what you're going through, my grace is sufficient for you because when you feel weak, then you are strong. My strength is made perfect in, in weakness. I was preaching this morning and uh, it was quite a, a long service because of other things that were going on and there was two wee girls that had come in with granny and granda and I felt a wee bit sorry for them but they were very good and they were sitting through a long sermon so I, I said to them in the middle of it when we were talking about the, uh, the greatness of God what hymn do you know? I said, Jesus loves me, this I know for the Bible tells me so and got them involved like that and you know, it got everybody involved just to think back to the basics. Jesus loves me, this I know. He, I am weak, but he is strong. There's no shame in being weak when you've got a strong one to look after you. There's no shame in feeling a failure as long as you don't let it get you down and you turn to him for power for living and put your faith in the one who says, my grace is sufficient for you. When you are weakest, it's the very time that God can help you most. When you feel it, when you feel proud, and um, I was preaching on Absalom this morning, proud man who was trying to overthrow his father. Pride is the very opposite 
to what God calls us to. There's no grace given to those who are proud, who feel that they can do everything in their own strength. We are weak, but he is strong. So it's also privilege of prayer. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. There's that word grace again. That we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. God is here to help us. God is here in Great Vic this evening hour. What help do we need? How, 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 do, we, how do we continue as Christians in the uh, environments in which we face? God is here to help us, and that's called grace. Unmerited favor. Uh, the, the next word is peace. And you know that Paul was a Hebrew of the Hebrews, and of course, peace was Irene in Greek, and shalom in Hebrew. The man I was talking about this morning was called Absalom. 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 Father of peace. He was a bad rascal. He knew nothing about peace, and he didn't want peace. He wanted trouble all the time, but he didn't live up to his name. But Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace, and he's the one who lives up to his name and brings true peace. Shalom is complete well-being. Shalom is not a ceasefire. Shalom, peace, is complete well-being. It flows from all of one's relationships being put right. First, with God. Peace with God. That's what being a Christian means. This world is not at peace with itself. And one of the reasons is it's not at peace with God. And before you can be at peace with yourself, you have to be at peace with God because he made us. And we cannot find peace until we find it in him. And so, true shalom is the relationships being put right with God. And then you can get the relationships put right with oneself. And then the relationships right with others. And that's why we can say to each other, shalom, true peace, fellowship together. Paul mentions shalom and he also mentions joy. I remember you and pray for you with joy. Now, that struck me as hard to really get a grip of this. It's a bit like the night that he was in prison and singing hymns. I find that hard to think that I would do that or be able to do that. I'd be moaning, complaining, not singing. Wouldn't you? But... The, day, the time that he's writing this epistle, he's back in prison again, probably in Rome this time. How can he talk about, I remember you and pray for you with joy when he's in jail? You see, for some people, uh, we, have, uh, we, we have some relatives, young relatives, who love to party. And joy for them means Party. And uh, outside of party, um, then uh, you can get depressed. And then you, you need another party to cheer you up. Uh, but Paul had a joy that actually was not about partying, but it was joy that was possible even in the midst of difficult times. Impossible? 
not the way he did it because he was so focused on how wonderful it was to know Jesus and how wonderful it was to know these people loved Jesus that he was able to focus away from his chains and focus on Jesus and focus on what Jesus had done for him and what Jesus had done for these Philippians and he responded with joy. So he didn't focus on his troubles, he focused on Jesus. And that's the wonderful way that we can have joy in our hearts, even when we're facing hard times. The Christian joy it does not depend on partying. The Christian joy does not depend on the sun shining bright. Jesus can give us a song in our hearts in the night. I think that's a line from a song somewhere that's way deep down. You can, have a, you, you can have a song when the sun is shining bright, but God can give you a song in the night. Something, something like that. And, and, you know, that's the wonderful thing about it. The Christian joy doesn't depend on your circumstances. It depends on your focus on Jesus, on how close you're living to him. And so Paul talks about joy, even when he's in jail. The next word that I want to draw your attention to is koinonia. Koinonia is, is a word that we don't have an exact uh, equivalent of in, in English, so it's translated in a number of different ways. And I've given them uh, all, I've given you f four different ones there, but they all come from the one word koinonia. He refers to your partnership in the gospel, your koinonia. And it's partnership, it's fellowship, it's sharing, it's participation. Uh, Kononia means all those things. It's working together. And that's really what we're doing here, saying not one person's more important than the other, but the saints, the elders, the deacons, everybody. Fellowship is pulling together and working together. Um, he says in 4.14, you shared my trouble. And he uses the word kononia there again. Kononia is all about helping each other, being concerned for each other, and being able to somehow help each other along the road when life is, is, is difficult. And Paul goes on to, um, to thank them for their kononia. And I thank God for you folks and for the kononia that we have, working together, uh, that people are concerned for you when you're sick, as we are for Simon, that people are with you in your difficulties. That's kononia, working together. A great word, meaning fellowship, participation, sharing, all those things. No English word can really do it. It's really being together to work for the gospel of Jesus Christ, moving and working together. Uh, Paul says, I need to speed up. Paul says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion to the day of Jesus Christ. Genuine spiritual progress is rooted in what God has done. Genuine spiritual progress is rooted in what God 
has done. He says, he who began a good work in you. What he's saying is, God didn't bring you this far to leave you. If you're saved tonight, God didn't bring you this far to leave you. He's not finished with you yet. He wants us to continue to in step with him, to continue to get to know him better. To, and, and you know, that idea that, that my progress doesn't so much depend on me, it depends on him. I find that very encouraging, that it's, it's, it's not me that counts, it's, it's the one that I'm putting my faith in. And the fact that he is coming back again, and when he comes back again, we will go to meet him in the air, not because of anything that we have done, but because of what he has done for us. And uh, he loves us. He's working in our lives. And Paul goes on to say that. He talks about love in the next verse. He says that your love, and that's agape, that's the same love that's mentioned in John 3, 16, agape love, uh, that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment that you may approve what is excellent. Elsewhere, Paul says, love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy, love does not boast, love is not conceited. He's encouraging the people here to keep going, to keep moving. Uh, I remember telling you uh, this story before, but then I've done that with most of my stories. I remember telling you before about a time when I was trying to learn some uh, Hebrew in Israel, and I went back after a gap and said to the people, um, I'm not sure where my Hebrew is at the moment. I I've been marking time. And she nearly at me. <laughs> marking time, standing still, no, you haven't. If you haven't been going forward, then you've been going back. I don't know if that was right or not, but uh, I got a queer scolding for saying I was standing still. Uh, uh, but, uh, I think it was a marketing thing to get me to uh, speed up my study. But you know, isn't it true that in the Christian life, if you're not going forward, you're going back? And Paul was saying, keep going. May your love abound more and more and more. And I'm coming towards the end here. That you may be pure and blameless, For the day of Christ, the day of Christ, when Jesus comes again. That is our great hope for the future. Jesus said, I will come again. And he says, uh, you are to be his harvest. The fruits, you see, that's, that's a harvest. This is the harvest time of the year. But he's looking for a harvest of righteousness. And our harvest that we will present to Jesus is through him, the fruits of righteousness. It means that, uh, it, it means that we must keep going. Um, here's what Alec Mateer said, commenting uh, on, on that particular verse. The Christian is a person with an objective. The Christian is a person with a deadline to meet, a job to do a Lord to please, or in Paul's harvest metaphor, fruits to produce. We mustn't feel that uh, just because we're not uh, preaching at the front that we're not important. 
Everybody is being called by God to keep going, to keep on moving. Together, we look forward to the coming of Jesus Christ when every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that day is coming. Today is as a miserable time in our world when there's stress and strain and wars all around us and a lack of shalom, a lack of peace. And Jesus is coming. And that's what we look for. We believe that someday he will come again and we in our canonia, we'll join all the other canonia Christians in the world and meet with him and be with him forevermore. Hallelujah. There's an encouragement for us. Whatever gets us down, look to him and remember, this world is not your home if you belong to Jesus. We're going to be with him forevermore. Isn't that lovely? I'll meet with you all again. We meet down here, but what a blessing it will be when Jesus comes or calls and we meet with him for all eternity. So, we have a deadline to meet. We have a Lord to please. We have things to do. Let us all just be doing what God calls us to do and keep going on, keep moving. Don't mark time spiritually and look to him for the grace to do it. Amen. May God bless his, uh, these few thoughts to all our hearts. And our closing hymn is, The Lord is my salvation. The Lord is my salvation.
Thank you, Lord, for all your blessings and help. We thank you for salvation. We're saved for time. And we're saved for all eternity. The Lord is our salvation. Hallelujah. We thank you, Lord. Help us to feel encouraged in our hearts tonight. Help us to know the joy of the Lord. Even in hard times, help us to feel that joy of the Lord being our strength. And we know that your strength is made perfect in weakness. And when we don't feel we can do it ourselves, when we don't feel we can face what lies ahead, we thank you that you've gone before us and you are our salvation. May grace, mercy, and peace from Father, Son, and Holy Spirit encourage and bless and be with each one of us this day until Jesus comes or calls and then by his grace throughout the great eternity. Amen.